Hey, this is Caesar, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. John eleven fifty five. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus among, uh, they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? Will they not, will he not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given them orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore became, um, came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had risen from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those who reclined with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judah Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. So the chief priests made the plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because of the account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took the branches of palm, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even King of Israel. And Jesus said, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard and had, they heard he had done this sign. So, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these, so these came to Philip, who from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went, to, Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went to tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come, the Son of Man, to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless if a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life to this world, in this world, will keep, keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd stood there and heard it, said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world be casted out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by the kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard the law and the Christ, we have learned, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe the light that you may become sons of light. You may be seated. Amen. I love the scriptures. If uh, Jesus walked in here right now and he looked at you, just imagine for a second he walked in, he looked at you, said your name, and he said, hey, if you want to follow me, Sell your car, your phone, your clothes, your Bitcoin, your PlayStation 5, your Funko Pop collection. Delete your TikTok, your LinkedIn, your Instagram accounts, quit your job. Put all the money down for the rest of your rent on your lease. Throw your diploma in the trash. And I want you to go door to door at your neighborhood asking when you knock at their door if they've heard of me. And then ask to come in and talk with them. And I want you to stay there and talk about me until they kicked you out <laughs> or I told you to go to another home and do this for the rest of your life. Would you do it? Jesus walked in and said your name and then said that exact thing. I got to be honest with you, like, some of you are like, I don't even have half that stuff. I'm, I'm good, you know. <laughs> but if it was me, I would be like, I wouldn't. I would say no. I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Like, I, I think that uh, I, I honestly would want to. I think inside of me, I'd be like, you're Jesus. Like, you're looking at me and you're asking me to give up everything. And it's kind of like scary, but you're Jesus. So yes, I think I, would, I think I would say yes. But I don't know if I would do it. I think by the time I got home, I'd look at my PlayStation and be like, oh, what am I doing? Look at my Bitcoin. It's like, look at that. You don't want me to sell now, you know? I think I would say maybe in the moment, I, yeah, you know? But I actually wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't. 
And you know what we need to know going into this passage tonight is the one that we just read, this beautiful one that we just read, uh, is this tension and this momentum that are simultaneously happening here. They're building at the exact same time. At this very moment, Rome is marching 2,000 soldiers into Jerusalem. And the Pharisees are marching over 100,000 lambs into Jerusalem at the same time. And Jesus is marching into Jerusalem with his followers all at the same time. Okay? Rome was the dominant nation at this time. Uh, Flavius Josephus was the most prominent historian at this time. He was also a soldier in the Jewish army. Later, that he was a prisoner of Rome um, and a convert of Christ. And he wrote about the Romans amidst a, a bunch of other things. And one of the quotes that you can read in his literature is he says this about Rome. He says, Their exercises are unbloody battles, and their battles are bloody exercises. Big, weird sentence in saying, in other words, you and I understand exercise like, oh, I'm just going to go out for a two-mile run real quick. Romans understood exercise like, I'm going to go have a sword fight and kill a few people real quick. That's how common it was for them to be dominant and destructive. Like, that was Rome. Like, the way we think about going out to go for a jog, they would think about going to have a little duel and destroying someone with their power. The Pharisees, man, they, they, for thousands of years, have been passed down from generation to generation. The, 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 the sacrificial legal system of the Old Testament. And, and now, uh, uh, for months, they're here and they have to, they've been plotting against Jesus um, while still trying to keep their job to purify Israel under the ceremonial sacrificial system of the Old Testament that they would practice all week this week in Jerusalem. All this week of Passover. Every day. Um, and you're talking about like upwards of 1.5 million people coming into the same city for a whole week to sacrifice and pray all day, every day. And so you have the Romans, you have these religious elite, and then you have this powerful rabbi, healer, philanthropist, abolitionist, man of the people, claiming he's the new king of the Jews. With even recent reports of him raising a Jewish man who had been dead for four days. So, I mean, like, just, like, you have to realize the political and social tension and also momentum that's building in Jerusalem in this week, in this moment that we're looking at. Uh, you also, like, got to imagine that, like, the spiritual tension that's happening right now, I was thinking about this. It doesn't say this in the scripture, so I could be wrong, but I was like, Satan himself had to be there. You know what I mean? Like, there had to be the heavens, angels had to be there entering Jerusalem. So you don't have just three different kingdoms colliding in one moment, full of momentum and full of tension, but you also probably have this unbelievable spiritual tension building. I was literally thinking about like one of the angels that was probably like given um, authority over another province. He's like fighting a demon. He's like, bro, we, we need to go check out Jerusalem right now, you know? And, and so it's like, this is all culminating in this week, in this passage. You know, Rome is at its height of power. Israel's spiritual leaders are desperate. And Jesus, knowing the Father's will, is unwavering in what he's about to do. So there's going to be a collision. Something's going to happen. And that's where we dive in today. And, and it all starts off with an anointing. And this, you, gotta, you gotta know how ceremonially and historically important this was. Okay, like we can kind of be distant from these rituals today because like our closest understanding or experience of an anointing is like watching on TV a president put their hand on a Bible and like swear on their life that they will, they will uphold the, the office in the role as commander in chief. Like that's, that's as much as we really get ceremonially about this, this anointing of a new king that happens right here in chapter 12 in, in uh, Bethany at Mary and Martha's house. Okay, but um, when a king was anointed with oil, it was one of the, the last steps before, 
before walking from one side of the city to the, to the palace where they would pick up their crown and it would be the coronation of their new rule and reign. Okay, and so it was like literally like this is the, the, the beginning of the new reign. And so although a lot of people in Jerusalem missed this, the, the, the close followers of Jesus in this room in chapter 12 that we just read in Bethany, they didn't miss it. They understood what was happening. They understood this anointing that was taking place. This is it, chapter 12, verse three. It says this, you know, Jesus is, is hanging out with Lazarus whom he just raised from the dead. They're having dinner. What a sweet moment. Like, think about that. Like, unbelievable moment. And Mary awkwardly, like, like kind of breaks this fun hangout dinner time, rolls in and took a pound of expensive ointment from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with its fragrance. So this is the beginning of Jesus, his new reign. And, and this is the anointing. And this would have been so important for the followers of Jesus to go like, this is it, we're literally gonna march now in Jerusalem and he's gonna become the king. While at the exact same time, these other two kingdoms of religious leaders are plotting and planning their rule and their reign and Rome is continuing to, to build its momentum as the most dominant nation. And then we get to what happens the next day, right? That very next day, they go into Jerusalem, newly anointed, already having won the hearts of all of the people, riding in on an untamed colt. So who's going to win? Like, and maybe even we can ask ourselves here, who would, we, who would we be with if we were there? Would we be with Rome? Would we be with the spiritual elite? Or would we be with Jesus? Like, which one would we actually be with? I don't know, like, I, I don't know uh, who I'd actually side with. Like, I, when I think about it, I'd be like, I'd probably be with the spiritually religious leaders, but I don't know. But, but I do know, we do know who was with Jesus or who, who, where the crowds were at. And they were with Jesus. If you flip the page to uh, ch chapter 12, verse 12, you see that the crowds were with Jesus. They weren't with the religious leaders. They weren't with Rome. They were with this new triumphant king. And in verse 12, it says, the next day after the anointing, the large crowd had come to fe the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So Israel's ready. Like all the people are ready. They, they know, they see the political tension. They see the social tension. They know something's about to happen, but they're siding with Jesus. They're like, we are ready for this. And, and I try to imagine like this, like what's, what's the best example we have today of like this like anticipation of like, I've been waiting for this. I thought about the Chicago Cubs, 108 years, never winning a championship. You know what I mean? Like that moment, that was pretty incredible for all their fans, not even close to this, right? Or Nelson Mandela, I thought about him in prison for 27 years, like trying to get out to free his people and, and, and change the political and social and just terrible unrest that was there. But that's, that's not even close to what Israel was experiencing in, in this moment. Like escalate that times a hundred. And this is where we're at right here in chapter 12. And what's important to know is that the people, although they want to side with Jesus, they don't want to get this wrong. They've been thinking about this for like three years. They've been wrestling for like three years. Because if they get this wrong, they're either killed by Rome or God abandons them because they picked the wrong false leader. So they don't want to get this wrong. And so, so as much as this ran, seemingly random moment is thrown in here, John actually has a very intentional uh, uh, story that he puts here uh, in, in um, verse 20. So it's almost like these, uh, these fanboys are like, oh, I want to hang out with Jesus. Here it is in, in 20. Listen to this. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who's from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew Philip, 
And then they went and told Jesus. Okay, so this is like classic six degrees to Kevin Bacon moment, okay? <laughs> Just classic. Like everyone's got their own story in here. I know you could like, you could tell me who you know that's famous. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, I'm besties with Hannah, who's friends with Haley, who's like really good friends with Jackson, who's like super great friends with Samantha, who's like childhood best friends with Ariana Grande. And so basically if Ariana Grande comes to town, I can get us backstage passes, okay? That's, what, that's what's like happening here, right? But these, Gre- these Greeks are like, Philip, oh, he's close to this new king guy, Jesus. Uh, let, let's, 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 uh, let's ask him to maybe put a little lunch on the calendar for us so we can hang out with Jesus, get to know him, you know? And, and as, that's literally like this random story's in here, but to their credit, and honestly, to God's credit, it's actually probably a little bit more than just a petty attempt to getting to spend time with this new potential king. It actually... It's probably more of this, I, this, I'm telling this part, sorry, I should probably share why we're getting this, because I never remember this story. I've read John many times. We've, you know, preached the, 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 the Bible many times, but I, I forget this story. So it's probably more of a fulfillment of the whole narrative of Scripture, that Jesus didn't just come to save the Jews from Rome or its religious, or its religious oppression, but all humankind from the oppression of sin. See, here's, here's where I, when you look into this more, you see that these men being Greeks doesn't mean they were Jewish Greeks. Rather, they were Gentiles or, or non-believers who had converted to Judaism. And in converting to Judaism, they had practiced the ceremonial cleansing. They had anti- they're anticipating a Messiah. And so when they hear of this Jesus guy, their appropriate response was, I gotta go see this for myself. And it just even is fulfilling what is said in the verse right before that, where even the religious leaders are like, man, the whole world is coming to him. And it's just a beautiful moment where scripture's being fulfilled. That what God has promised, that not only will he save his people, but all his people around the world, he's gonna draw them to, unto himself. And so Jesus' response when Philip and Andrew walk up and say, hey, these guys, you know, they think you're awesome. They think you might be the next king. We know you are, you know. You remember when Peter confessed you were the Messiah and you're like, yeah, Peter, you're awesome. Yeah, we know that. They think they know it, so, you know. And Jesus says, his response is awesome. He says, the hour has come for the Son to be glorified. And it's like, whoa. It's like, to us in the room, it's like, okay, the hour has come for the Son to be glorified. But if you were there in that moment, like, I imagine sitting there in that moment, I, I imagine chills would have gone down their arms. Because this is what they've been waiting for. Like, this is it. Like, the, he's going to be glorified. And we're going to be with him. But then, classic Jesus, <laughs> he goes on to say something that makes no sense in this moment to anyone. Look at Jesus' response right after that. He says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will will honor him. Honestly, in this cultural moment, this historical moment, this building of anointing and coronation and, 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 and triumphant entry, this was this not, this not what Jesus should have said. Like this tri- triumphant victorious leaders don't say this, this type of thing on the day of coronation, right? Like when, when, a, when a king or a leader steps up and they're finally like crowned, they say things like, hey, we've sacrificed enough. 
You've sacrificed enough. We've been oppressed long enough. You've paid enough already. We've paid enough. Now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. I promise that as I'm leading you, we will be, you'll be rewarded. You'll be wealthy. If you follow me, you'll be protected. You'll be the victor. You will no longer have to live any form of a sacrificial life anymore. That's the past if you follow me. And anyone that opposes us, they will pay. Anyone that opposes our kingdom will be forced into submission. That's what a leader should say when they're coronated. But Jesus says the hours come and truly, truly, if you want to follow me into my kingdom, you must die. You must die. Now, I don't know if any of you have taken up gardening recently. I haven't. <laughs> but there's this new gardening technique. Uh, it's all the rage right now. Uh, I've been hearing a lot about it. It's called, uh, I think it's called propagation. Is that correct? Some of you are like freaking out. Yep, you, t- you three weirdos. Yep, okay. Uh, <laughs> So pro- I, you wouldn't know how, you should see my search history this last week of all the things I've been, <laughs> I just thought about this being like, what if people went through my search history, it'd be so random. Um, uh, okay, so propagation is the, the, the art of clipping a leaf from a plant and placing it in water to create a new plant. I actually have a couple pictures here, okay? All right, so it's beautiful, right? Look at how, you know, aesthetic that is, right? So it's like, it's literally, you take, you take a vine or you take a plant, you clip off one end of like a leaf, you put it in water, and so it'll sprout and bring new life, right? Like this is, this is all the rage now, right? It, it's so weird. Like I ran into random people talking about it. This one girl at Foxtail, she was telling me about it. She's like, this crazy how expensive, like this little leaf, right? They're like, oh, I bought one for $1,000. I'm like, what? How do you pay $1,000 for a leaf, you know? But it's a thing. So for this message, I've been researching plant germination, Okay. Pretty basic stuff here, all right? Uh, pretty basic stuff here. Okay, when a seed goes into the ground, okay, a part of it dies. Usually it's outer self dies so that it, it's new life, so new life can emerge, okay? Now, this is super essential for you to understand this passage, okay? This has to happen. This has to happen. When the seed goes into the ground, um, it, it has to, its outer self has to die, for new life to emerge. If the outer self doesn't die, if, if most of the seed doesn't die, the new life can't emerge, okay? The new growth can't emerge. And Jesus is using the same metaphor to make a similar claim for us and ultimately all his followers. If you want to follow me, something has to die. If you want to keep your life, if anyone wants to keep their life, they can have it. You can have your life. But if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you all want to follow me. If you want to follow me, and if you do, my Father will honor you as he honors me. And so this circles back to our first question that we started with. If Jesus walked in here and looked at you and said your name and said, Caleb, will you give up this for me? Will you die to these things for me? I honestly would look at him with, as much authenticity I would, I would like think about it, I would want, I'd probably respond with something like, Jesus, like I want to, you know? Like I want to give up everything and follow you, but like can you help me? Like, and also like can you help me understand something? It's like, is it really worth it? Do I really have to give up everything? Like, like can I please just like keep some things to follow you, you know? Like, like can I, also why can't I just have both? Why can't I follow you and keep my old life? Why can't I follow you and keep what I want? Like, I mean, uh, do I really have to give up everything? And, and it, it sounds crazy. Is it really worth it to give up everything for you? 
And this is where it's unbelievable. This is where it's just moving my soul this last week. It's unbelievable. Jesus' response to me and you, his response, it's not just do it. Like, or you have to. I promise it'll be better. You have to do it. His response is, watch me. And he turns in the same room that we're sitting with him in, and he looks, and the father comes in the room. And the father walks over, acknowledges you and me, and then looks at his son, and he says, son, if I asked you to let go of some of your divine attributes, to give up your power, to be omnipresent, give up your eternal throne of glory where you reign over all creation as your footstool, son, if I, Jesus, if I asked you to take on a human body, wrap flesh around your pure and powerful, fully divine eternal spirit, and absorb the daily nuances and experiences of a temporal body. Son, if I ask you to give up your right to be worshipped in your role as judge. Son, will you pay for the eternal cosmic atrocities of every nation, tribe, and tongue from past, present, and future? And son, if I asked you to not only take up the impure thoughts, violent actions, lust-filled sexual atrocities, idolatrous pride of every man, woman, child, but also take on my eternal wrath, my righteous, holy, purifying justice deserved only for my enemies. And son, also to be stripped of our love for one another. So you'd become lonely, forsaken, our union divided, broken to the point of death. Son, would you do it? And the son unwaveringly looks at the father. He says, I will. The gospel isn't how much are you willing to give up for Jesus. It's beholding how much Jesus gave up for you. When we see how much Jesus denied himself, died to himself, we can't help but ask the Father, man, what do you want me to give up to experience new life? What do you want me to to, to die to so I can experience this new life? When we behold Jesus, when we actually look at what he's done for us and we see how he was willing to die for us, we can't help but go, I'm willing to give up anything. It's not worth it. I mean, that's what Mary does when she anoints Jesus. It's like this thing that's most precious to me here on earth is worthless in comparison to, to honoring you and loving you and pouring out my appreciation to you. Where on the flip side, Judas is like, anything I can get on this earth is more worth than loving you, Jesus. See, listen, God has a vision for you and God has a vision for this community. And it's a beautiful vision, a vibrant, glorious vision but we have to ask him to help us to see that. And honestly, like, I, I was imagining like a seed in a garden. And I love how Jesus says, Jesus says, if you're not willing to die, then you will be left alone. But if you are, it will produce unbelievable fruit. Jesus is saying, like, we, if you're willing to die, I have a vibrant, vibrant, eternal vision for your life. If you're will, Every time you deny yourself, every time you give up just one thing, it produces more and more eternal fruit. 
every time you're willing to say, that's not actually your will. That's opposed to you, Jesus. That doesn't show my love for you. That doesn't show your love for me. I'll get rid of it. It produces more and more and more of the vision of holiness and beauty that God has for us in our community. And I was just, I was like, I can't, I can't come here and ask like us to consider denying ourselves, dying ourselves if I wouldn't do it first. And so this week, a few times, I found myself just sitting there praying like, uh, what father do you want me to die to? And it's hard. <laughs> it's so hard. I don't want to die to things. And it was such a wrestle with me and God because when he would reveal things, I'm like, I don't want to give that up. And so two things that God brought to my mind that were really hard. One was my thought life. Man, my, my thought life is so easily not <laughs> under the will of God. It's so easy for a random thought to come in my mind and, 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 and God desires that I would just take it captive, submit it under Christ, let it go and never, never try to dwell on that again. But I let while I'm driving the car or I'm at home or I let random thoughts just flow through my mind and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with justifying things that are sinful in my mind and, and contemplating them and it's amazing how I let thoughts run rampant in my mind that Jesus is saying, come and die to those things and I'm like, I kind of like my thought life. I like it. Another is just in my time management, my saying yes to people all the time. And I just, I want to, to love people so well. I wanna, I wanna be friends with so many people. I want to do so much that it's so easy for me just to always be like, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. And Jesus just revealed to me this week, he's like, that's not my way. Man, you've overcommitting yourself. And I'm like, no, it's a good thing. Like, I, I, I'm doing it because I love people. I want people to know you. And he's like, you're overcommitting yourself, Caleb. That's not, will you die to that? And I'm like, no. And so I, I, I just want to be honest with you. Like, what Jesus is saying to us here, what the scriptures are calling us to here, family, is hard. It's painful. It's hard for me. I'm not even perfect at it. When we look at Jesus and what he's done for us, when we actually behold how he's given up everything, when you read that next section and see that he says, Father, may you be glorified. When we do that, God reveals to us this newer vision of holiness. And so, I guess to end our time tonight, I think I just want to ask you to be willing to let Jesus search your heart to reveal to you like where, where, where is it that I'm holding on to my way, my will, where I'm like, I don't want to die to this. I want to live my own version of Christianity that I want to hold on to. And let God search your heart. And then what's amazing is when he reveals it to you, if you just give it to him, if you actually allow him to, to, to reveal which things are actually hindering your relationship with him and you allow him to have him, he will plant new, fresh vision in your heart that is unbelievable, that is freeing that is, gives you a clear conscience, that, that brings joy. Every time that I stopped resisting Jesus, I was like, okay, okay, I'm, it's yours. And, I just, and not just like unwillingly and, and begrudgingly, but willingly and loving. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna obey you. The freedom I felt, the joy I felt, the clear conscience I had, because I knew I wasn't resisting God. Man, Jesus goes on to say at the very end, he says, man, the light is only here with you for a little longer. The darkness is coming. And there's a window of mercy. There's a window of mercy that Jesus was saying, I'm not going to be here forever. 
Don't miss it. Don't resist this vision of life I have for you that's far better than yours. Don't resist the mercy I'm trying to offer you. Like, I'm only here for a little bit longer. And, and you know what? Jesus did leave, and now there's a new window of mercy we're being offered today. But it's, it's closing. It's closing. We only have one life. And Jesus is saying to us, God is saying this, don't resist my way. Don't resist me. Right now as I'm speaking to you, as I'm revealing myself to you, don't resist my mercy. Embrace it. While the light is here, while the Spirit is speaking to you, don't resist it. Soften your heart to it. Submit to him. For his vision is way better for our community and for our lives than ours. Let's pray. God, I'm sorry I... I resist you so quickly. Man, help me behold you more. God, reveal to us, reveal to us in the same way that you were revealing to all these people who, who said, Hosanna, we're following you into your kingdom. Reveal to us where we actually don't really want to follow you. And then God, please transform us. You have such an amazing vision for our lives. I can see the, the beauty of it. It's so simple. It's so simple for us to just stop and contemplate where we're lying to ourselves, where we're hurting others, where we're disobeying and justifying it. And you just, you're revealing it to us even now, right now as we're here in this room, and you're just showing us a much better way Please help us, God, search our hearts and then help us actually respond in action tonight. Thank you that you are asking us to give up everything. That in your kingdom, you're actually asking us to give up everything to you. And when we do that, we have, you have our undivided attention. You have our undivided affection. You have our undivided love. And God, lead us into that as a community. Lead us into that as individuals, God. Show us what that means this week. Thank you, Jesus, that you said yes to the Father. That when you were asked of the impossible, when you were asked of something that we, we, we can't even say yes to on our own strength, something that we want to do but we can't without you, you did willingly and you accomplished it on our behalf so that now we can just behold you and when we behold you, we will be changed and want to respond to you. God, help us glorify you this week in our thoughts. Help us glorify you in our actions. Help us glorify you in our emotions. Help us glorify you in our interactions with one another. Teach us as a young adult community what it means to die to self. Teach us what it means to take on this new life. Cut away, Father, at what needs to be pruned. Cut away what is damaging to us and those around us. Cut away at what is harmful to your kingdom. And bring new, fresh vision, new, fresh life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.